Devin Miller. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called SecureSafe. I'm Sudhir Reddy, head of engineering at Esper, as well as the host of this show, There's a Device for That. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Devin Miller, who's the co-founder and CEO of SecureSafe, as well as a veteran startup executive. It's Kirkland-based here in the Pacific Northwest, and what they work on at SecureSafe is an employer-matched emergency savings account allowing all employees to feel more financially secure. Hi, Devin. Hi, Sudhir. Good to be here. Great to be here, too, with you. Now, tell us a little bit about Secure Save, uh, what it does, and what you all do for employees. Of course. So, Secure Save is an emergency savings app. We work with employers to provide employer sponsored emergency savings accounts. So, the way it works is very much like a health savings account. Uh, you get invited by your employer to join Secure Save. You get an invitation that says you're going to get a free emergency savings account that you have full control and access to, and that your employer is going to match. Typically, if you put in like $25 or $50 per paycheck, they're going to put in $5 to $10 to help incentivize you to save. The whole idea behind this is uh, really started to take off over the last few years. Employers are understanding that a big chunk of their employees are just very unprepared for emergencies. 40% of Americans don't even have $400. It's kind of the common stat. But for a lot of just average income, average employees across the country, financial wellness and and financial preparedness is is a very top of mind element for employers. And it's something that employees really resonate. And so we help employers put these programs together, launch them, and they're very successful and they're very popular. That's great. It's fascinating, isn't it? You know, until the pandemic hit, for me, saving was really about a 401k or putting money in a savings account or investing it somewhere. And it was almost secondary to think about an emergency uh, thing. And when the pandemic came around, everyone's thinking about it and looks like uh, <laughs> yeah. you're in the right spot there. What makes your solution so impactful for consumers? What makes people want to do this? Yeah, so it's interesting. Emergency savings, when you ask Americans what is their top financial priority, it's typically right now, especially going to be saving for emergencies. It's actually for a lot of people, especially younger, lower, kind of more average income, it typically outpaces retirement savings in a lot of cases, even paying down debt. And if you actually flip it around and you look at what stresses Americans out, and this isn't unique to America, this is pretty common across the world, uh, what stresses people out is uh, short-term money matters. It is and has been the number one source of stress for Americans for a very long time, more than family, more than work, more than relationships, and in cases, often more than those things combined. And so short-term money matters is a top source of stress. Emergency savings is their number one financial priority. We just give them a solution to address that pain point and to create a way to solve that priority for them in a really automated, easy way. And so what makes our product unique is, honestly, I think we were one of the first people, we're not the only ones out doing this, but we have you know, a very, very focused approach to our product. And we really just ask people over and over again, what would make the perfect emergency savings account or emergency savings app? And we just hammer on that over and over with people like, what will make this better, 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 more perfect? And our bet is, is that because this is such a big stress, and it's such a big priority for people that if you give them the perfect solution for that, that they'll really resonate with it. And so far, that seems to be true. You know, in our testing, 
If you give people a purpose-built emergency savings account that's very automated with kind of very specific features with some extra incentives, especially the match from their employer, they love this. So that's what we built. That's the problems that we're trying to solve. And when you do that, it creates a really unique solution in the market. I love it. I, I personally would subscribe to it if I was offered one. Uh, let me ask you from an employer's perspective, what is it in it for them? What, uh, how do they benefit from doing a program like this? Yeah, great question. So kind of the same, same answers um, or same detail. Employers know of all sizes, honestly, that money matters, short-term money matters are the top source of stress for their employees. And they also know that they bring those stresses to work, especially in a very digital remote-based age or, or just you know, even if you're in office, you're online all day that stress is just permeating through you at work. And it shows up in very tangible ways. Like if you, if your car broke down, it's actually real issue for me this week, my, my wife's car just completely imploded on us. And so now like we're trying to figure it out and we have all these unexpected expenses. And, and there's, you know, of course I'm gonna be dealing with it during work hours because that's the only time that car dealerships are open and you gotta call these places. And so this is so common and it's such a key thing that shows up for employees at work. And it causes distraction, productivity issues, can even cause accidents in certain companies, but also it causes you know, other costs. For example, if my only retirement or savings account is my retirement account at work, then if I have an emergency, that's where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take out a hardship withdrawal or 401k loan, or maybe and ask for a payroll advance. So that causes costs and burden on the employer. Um, but also there's clear data that says stressed out employees are way more likely to churn. And so if their number one cause of stress is financial stress, then that's a big reason why people churn. They take, they start driving for Uber, they look for more hours, they move their family. And so all these things have huge implications on employers. And this is not new. This is not a pandemic related thing or even inflation. Those things definitely like cause, you know, people to pay a little bit more attention at times, but these are long standing like trends that have been going on. And so employers have looked at financial wellness as an area of focus. Like, okay, what if we helped make our employees more financially healthy? But that's tough. It's like talking to your employees about um, budgeting. You know, like, hey, you should have a budget. Everybody's going to nod and say, yes, that, that makes sense. But then no one does it. And so where things are turning now is if we really want our employees to be healthier financially, it's not enough just to tell them that. Like we have to make it easy and automated and give them incentive. And so that's where emergency savings accounts really start to kind of combine in this magical way. You're taking the number one stress and the number one priority for people combined with this like really clear problem area for employers and saying, what if with SecureSave, we gave you this really automated way that's really convenient, that really works, it really gets people to take action and it really gets them to save wouldn't that be great? And employers are saying, yes, that would be great. And we'd like that. And so that's where I think the magic of what we've done is starting to come together. Love it. And in the end, I think healthy and less stressed employees are more productive and make for a much better employment. So Devin, we understand the solution. We understand what you bring to the market. Now, how do your users and your customers access them what are some of the things that drive them to using the product, et cetera? Yeah, so the first thing we've done is just made a very conscious decision that all we're going to do is emergency savings. We've built a very thin app that does one thing and it does it really well. We have uh, Android app, iPhone app, and web app. 
really try and drive people to the phone app. And within that app, it is very focused. There's a lot of behavioral science behind it. There's a lot of little subtle things that we do. So first off, when you get the invitation, it's all about emergency savings. So we don't cloud you with other like, what's your savings goals or what are you trying to accomplish? It's very clear. You click this button, you get an emergency savings account that has these key features. It's very easy to understand. And then the features of the app follow through with that. So when you get to the app, you know, you're presented with a signup flow and with kind of the brand, it's all about emergency savings. Secure save as an example is how we want you to feel. We want this to be something that makes you feel very secure. And then there's little things in the app as well. Like it's it's really a you know, personal finance account, but it's not a balance. It's your emergency savings. It's not a transfer or withdrawal. It's get emergency money. Um, and then the interaction around that is all designed to make it very fast, very convenient. And, and so those things all really work. Like when we talk to users about it, we look at our, the results that we're getting, you know, it all points to all of these little subtle things and the, and the dedication that we do are really successful. And we hear our users compare it to other products that are very similarly, like very um, narrowly focused, like Venmo is a good example. You know, there's a lot of similarities structurally between our app and Venmo, which is obviously a wildly successful app. But again, very focused. And I think that's a really important thing to do or to consider when you're designing your app. Are we going to go really broad? We're going to go really deep. And we went really deep. But when you go really deep, it allows you to do things with your experience uh, within the app that I think can drive really tremendous results uh, that you won't get if you go really broad. Amazing. And a lot of times when we think about innovation, we think about these large, humongous innovations, but it's all these micro innovations that really drive a lot of behavior, drive adoption, as well as drive satisfaction with using the product and things. Speaking of innovation, let's talk about that a little bit. You're a serial entrepreneur. You've built many companies, exited many companies, and you've been in this industry for such a long time. So tell us about how you what in your mind, what drives innovation for you? What's the, what makes you tick and invent new things? Yeah, I've, I for a long time have had a kind of a personal, um, I don't know, motto is the right way to put it, but uh, it's like a framework that I go by that really drives me personally, both professionally and, and you know, family life, which is be creative, build things and help people. Like keep that as the core focus of what you're doing. And you know, I, bring, I bring that to work in the, in the work I do. And I'm a big believer that creativity is something that you can train into yourself, right? That it's not, there are definitely, I think people are more naturally creative than others, but even if you're not that creative, you can work out as a muscle and, and try and improve it. And so I try and do that. Um, and I love building things. Uh, I just love the process of it. And, you know, I like things that help people that have intrinsic value that, you know, even my kids can understand. My kids, my, my six-year-old knows what emergency savings is. Like she understands why it's important. She wants more of it too. Um, and I think if you keep it really simple, the other thing I've learned through that framework is keep things simple. Simplicity scales is a, a phrase an old friend of mine, uh, Jeremy uh, Ames, actually used to say all the time that I really like. And so for me, I think it all kind of starts with that. And I just like the entrepreneurial process. My wife and I have together started companies. She has her own company. We've, we've had businesses for years in fintech and out. And it, I think it's just the process. But having that kind of principled-based, like, um, very structured way of approaching entrepreneurship has been really important to me personally. Well, when you said your kid has uh, an or knows about emergency funds, 
my daughter's emergencies when she was six year old was what candy can she get next and where she gets the money for that. And there's an emergency yeah. fund for that. It is amazing. You know, a lot of times and our, a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs. They like to invent. They like to bring new products to uh, to their customers. How do they find motivation of to keep inventing. It, it's very easy for us to invent one thing and fall into, okay, I'm going to rest on those laurels. But what, what drives you, for example, to keep inventing new things? I think it starts with that, like that personal motto, right? I mean, it, but you kind of got to see it through. I think that's something I've learned too, is, is that, um, because I think the other thing, and I've fallen victim to this, serial entrepreneurs or innovators, like you fall in love with one thing and you, you get excited about the creativity part and then you just you never follow through so i think the important thing is the follow through so that's something i try and work really hard at is to stay really focused on the thing at hand and um, my co-founder basam is an example he and i've worked together for a long time he said something to me a long time ago when i was really antsy and i wanted to start a new company and he's like you know i remember that feeling earlier in my career because he's a little bit uh, older than i am he said, I felt like if I didn't start another company right now, I'd never start another one again. He's like, and since then, I've started five companies, <laughs> just, you know, without meaning to. And as so I think there's a level of patience you have to have for me personally, of just let it come. I mean, I've probably done, I don't know how many companies over the years, uh, maybe five or six, like started it, like filed stuff. And, you know, but we probably had 15 ideas that we batted around and and I'll probably do another 20 more is my guess. So I think just having patience that the time will come to, to ideate again. And, but follow through on the thing you're working on is probably more important. I think it's that follow through that's uh, super important. And it reminds me of the ex-CEO of Intuit used to have a saying that I adopt uh, quite a bit is fall in love with the problem and not with the solution. Once you fall in love with the problem, the solutions will come to you and you will find new ways of finding solutions for that. And I think that's key. When people talk about, if I could jump in there, Sudhir, like when they yeah. talk about being customer centric, I think really what they're saying is being problem centric, right? Like really understand right. who your user is, what their problem is, and just keep hitting that over and over again. And, um, and for us, it's very much like what prevents people from saving for emergencies, having this reserve and being ready for it. And what would the perfect solution to that look like to solve that problem? And just staying focused, focused, focused on that. Great. And for our listeners out there, that's a key message. Focus, figure out what you want to do and stay the course till you've solved the problem. Not found the perfect solution, but solved the problem. And this industry, as well as just generally the world around us, is changing every single day and new things are coming about. New ways of doing things are coming about. What's your secret to staying on top of trends, to foreseeing what your customers need? How do you stay one step ahead of everyone else in this? Uh, yeah, good question. I don't know if I, I think for me, it just starts with reading. Um, I've always read a ton. Um, my wife and I have, have thousands of books. Like we've just, um, I'm probably overly addicted to my news feed like everyone else. But but I, I usually try and seek out very specific areas and, and try and spend a lot of time talking to other entrepreneurs and and others. You know, even when I talk to investors, you know, when they ever ask what question do you have for me, I don't care about their fund. I what are you seeing in the market? What are the trends that are going on? Because you know there are some people like investors that have really unique perspective. And so the more you can just swallow up all of that. Um, the key thing is not over rotating on it. It's something that I've learned is that you can, I mean, I could read and read and read and read and barely scratch the surface of content out there um, and just be overwhelmed with intake of, of material. 
But really the key is understanding what is worth responding to and acting on. And, and I think that's something that just comes with time of, of, of like reflecting like, hey, I over rotated on this thing and, and why did I do that? And could I improve upon that? But yeah, so I think it's a level of being curious, but also knowing like what matters. And that just is hard. You kind of have to figure that out, you know, over time. Experience and failed experiments, all of those give us a lot of a lot of good focus on what's practical in the end. Great. Let's talk about fintech trends a little bit, speaking of trends. Yeah. What is out there? What's coming? How has COVID changed the world? How has COVID changed your thinking? Yeah, COVID was interesting. We were actually in the process of starting a totally different company when the pandemic hit, my co-founder and I. And um, we had to kind of take a step back and think about what is going to change and react and get ahead of it. And that was one thing. I mean, one of our early investors, when we were explaining our vision for emergency savings and what was going on, you know, he threw out the old Wayne Gretzky quote. He said, it seems like this is a skating to the where the puck is going type of idea that, you know, we were making a bet that as the pandemic changes, like that's what's going to be happening in the world. And, and uh, I still tell him like, that was a great quote. <laughs> it's very much true. And there's a lot that I think that happened with FinTech, you know, to name a few things. Um, the, and none of these are like ground shakingly new ideas, but the shift to digital and fintech was really pronounced. Um, as an example, you know, if you think about all the people that could not and or, and or did not want to go to a branch to bank uh, all of a sudden, like April, May of 2020 was, these are people that probably would have just kept going for 10 more years, uh, but all of a sudden they can't. And so the only way they can interact financially is, is digital. And so that, that caused this radical shift and not just like the growth of digital banking and financial services, but in how people thought about it, that was going to stick. And so a lot of that digital transformation really accelerated. But behind that also then it caused a trickle effect of infrastructure. You know, Sudhir, you and I were talking before the, the show started, like, you know, infrastructure switches and, and big platforms and those are intense, but it's not just that the big banks needed better digital experiences, but they needed a whole lot level of scale of infrastructure that they just weren't set out for. And the, the thing about fintech is, is that, you know, you're, <laughs> to say the obvious, you're moving real money. You're dealing with real laws. Uh, it's not just oh, shucks, our app went down and people can't access it. It's like, oh, oh, darn, like, I think I just broke a federal law or I just broke a compliance regulation and I'm going to get kicked off the platform. I mean, business is dead. Like the margin of error is much more intense. And so the infrastructure is much more intense, but also finding those people that have done it and know how to do it is more intense and they're more expensive. And so like the switch of user experiences, the infrastructure demands that that created, and then the talent demands that that trickle, I think are kind of the three things that we've seen. Um, but also when you, when you kind of, and so that's impacted all of FinTech. Like if you look at JP Morgan Chase is investing gobs of dollars at an accelerated pace into the tech development and trying to keep up with FinTechs. But the interesting thing that's going on is always also the bundling versus unbundling discussion. There's a ton of companies out there that are trying to basically be the new JP Morgan Chase. Like Chime is a good example. Like how do we be that brand for this up and coming segment of Americans? And that's, you got to bundle a ton of services together to make that model work. That's how JP Morgan or B of A or Wells Fargo function is. They have all these different lines of businesses, but as a FinTech, a VC backed one, that is 
crazy expensive for all the reasons I just said. You got to build a lot of surfaces. You got to have a really great infrastructure. You got to be really tight on your compliance. You have to have amazing talent. And the banks have really deep pockets. It's really competitive and they're arming up. And so I think you're going to see this interesting swing where it's like, are the big fintechs going to be able to actually compete with the big incumbents? And how does that work? And is an interesting segment to that is you look at the robo-advisor space where a bunch of very well-funded robo-advisors, Wealthfront, Personal Capital, uh, Betterment, and others are now getting swallowed up by the big incumbents. And they kind of lost, like no one has had that breakout, you know, we are going to compete with Schwab or Morgan Stanley at scale. They're getting bought by those companies. And so I think that's for me, maybe the last thing of like, how much are the big fintechs really going to compete with the incumbents? Or are the incumbents really just going to swallow them up? You know, it. I think it's hard to tell. Yeah, and COVID has changed so much. And this is such a fascinating discussion of it has tentacles in every aspect of our lives. Yep. Things that we didn't imagine would change have changed in the last few years. And in there is an interesting question around how many of these are temporary, as in they work now and they will fade away over time, versus how many things have changed that will live with us for the rest of our lives and probably our children's lives. Um, any insights on that? Any thoughts there? Yeah. Yeah, great question. So I'm sure you followed like the what's going on with Better Mortgage. They've been in the news a lot and kind of the crazy up and then crazy down. And at the end of the day, they're a mortgage company. They, they want to talk about being a technology provider to fintech, right? But they're a mortgage company. And there's a lot of those. And the mortgage industry, as we've seen just in the last 12 months, is, goes through big ups and downs and there's trends there. And so it's, is the tech really like sustainable and is it really changing the industry or is the industry just drifting the way it normally does in mortgages? And so I think that's one example of there are still these spots where it's hard to tell if real innovation and real change is occurring or it's just someone taking advantage of market cycles. And then you look at companies like Chime or you know even in... Um, you know, a sister company of ours here in the Seattle area, PSL, um, Partner Square Labs, we have a common investor, Copper, which is a, a banking app for teenagers, essentially. Like there's a big trend of where does that generation go to bank? And my guess is, is that they're going to find a brand and really kind of anchor with them. And that's going to be a long lasting change uh, and a trend that will, that I think is accelerated because of COVID and things that are going on right now that will probably have long lasting legs because they're really building something new and fundamentally different than you can get at, at a bank like B of A or Wells or whatnot. So I do think you have this mixed bag of like, are there just trends that being you know taken advantage of or are there really like new things going on? And the thing cool about FinTech is there's so many little different segments of it and, and rabbit holes that you can fall down, but they are all very quite different as well. Devin, you just reminded me, I have been on the hunt my teenage daughter, 15-year-old, wants a bank uh, and wants a credit card that goes with yeah. it. So I think you just gave me a perfect solution with PSL. And uh, I'm going to go look it up. And yeah, look at Copper. Yeah, Copper is a great local, uh, I think the world, Eddie Berenger is the CEO there. They just raised a bunch of money, having good success. There's a number of players in that space, but um, yeah, I like them. We talked a lot about the product, we talked about innovation, we talked about the trends in the world and, and in general, and also about fintech specifically. Tell us a little bit about your engineering processes. Esper, where I am from, 
uh, we espouse and we advocate DevOps as a practice, rapid iterations, being able to deliver software to your applications and your devices at speed and at will and things. Uh, what practices do you adopt within SecureSave? What can you tell us about how that has improved or not your uh, experience with software development? Yeah, I, mean, I think the first thing that we've done, and I talked about it earlier, is just being super focused. We have a very limited problem area that we're working on. You know, we also try and have a very flat organization and involve everybody as much as we can. You know, so as an example, like we just had an offsite the other week, and and sitting next to me was uh, our lead. Um, uh, technical product manager and our lead software architect sitting next to me, listening to our partnership lead talk about our partner strategy. And so everybody generally knows what's going on in the business. And I think that helps with rapid cycles. So very narrow, everybody, like we're not working on this really broad based problem area or all these different problems. And we, we gather everybody together and kind of work on that in regular cycles. The other thing I like to do just from a team organizational kind of even non-technical side you know, is we have a very set rhythm and artifacts approach. And again, we get everybody involved in that. So, you know, our product lead, Ellie, does a great job of kind of making sure everybody knows the roadmap, the priorities, the trade-offs, and all of that, I think, just helps us move faster in, uh, in how we develop. And so, you know, being the CEO, not the CTO in our company, I think more about our when I think about engineering process, I think about how we make decisions, how we focus our attention, how we prioritize, how we work through those things. And then from there, you know, it's, it's you kind of have to just have the basics. Even if you have a small team and a small problem area, I always say that you have to have at least enough players to run the playbook, you know, to use a football analogy. Like if you want to, if you want to play NFL football, you have to put 11 players on the field and they have to have the right roles and generally, and there's some flexibility there, but you know, and then you have to have the right tools to be able to run that. And um, the cool part about where DevOps and, and just product development is today is there's so many tools and so much, but it's almost the negative as well. There's so many tools and there's so many ways of doing things. And, you know, we just try to be very definitive on like, this is how we work. This is our culture. This is how we go about it. But we really try and include everyone. I always say product development is a team sport. You can't tell from my analogies. And so getting the whole team to know how we play and, and how the plays get run and how we make those decisions, I think makes your cycle speed up um, and allows you to run faster. So even if the technology is there to be able to have a rapid innovations, if the overall organization isn't ready to put a good input into that machine, you're not going to get a good output. So that's what I focus on. That's great. And that plays right into what we think of as DevOps. DevOps is really a mindset about being able to take all the things you want to ge generate, all the value you want to provide to your customers, and being able to rapidly iterate that, develop it, as well as then manage it and maintain it and keep everything going in in the pace that your business demands it. A lot of, a lot of times, roadblocks like, hey, the production systems are down or your apps not working on the devices that you needed to work are all because of their silos in your organization. And if, as, as you remove those silos, you will see that DevOps is nothing but that organizational structure uh, with the right tooling in place, as you talked about. One secret ingredient for us, I think, that you know, my co-founder and I, Basam, set month one of when we formed the company. We wrote out what we call our mission, vision, principles document. So it's, these are mission as a company to help people feel and be financially secure. Um, and our vision is, is that we want every American household to have at least three months of emergency savings. Like we know we'll be successful when we hit that. 
And then we actually define our strategy and we share this with like new recruits. Like this is what we're trying to accomplish. It's very clear against that. But the most important is our 10 operating principles, which is not super unique. You know, there's other companies that have these. Amazon, for example, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know their management principles. Um, and some of them we just straight copied <laughs> from them. Like I love the principle of disagree and commit. And because uh, I think it just helps you with that, that rapid cycle. But it's those 10 that really help because and we train and ingrain them into the team. And there's a lot of focus on autonomy and uh, being able to make your own decisions and, and making sure that people operate within this kind of principle-based approach, I think is super important uh, in both DevOps, but in just any part of the company. But again, if you think about it as a team sport, like our partnerships person or our support team or our account execs or the board, all are part of the product development team in some respect. If you're going to be feeding in the development, having that principle-based approach also just makes things move faster. And again, for us, I think it's part of our secret ingredient to success. There you go, folks listening to this. There's the secret. It is about breaking down those silos, bringing everybody into the tent, and then being able to stay focused on the mission uh, of what you want to accomplish. Devin, this has been fascinating. I've learned so much as well as really you've reinforced the sense of innovation and what people should be thinking about and how to structure a company. So we covered a lot of ground here. Any closing remarks, any thoughts you'd like for our listeners to uh, really absorb out of this? Yeah, I would love if, uh, you know, whoever's listening, I'm sure there's various angles, whether you're a CEO running your own team, uh, part of a team, just tell your HR or even just interested in our product, go to securesave.com, you know, book a call with our sales team, learn about it, tell your HR department, uh, or just get on our waiting list as an individual. So we'd love to help spread our mission to help people feel and be financially secure and get the word about uh, emergency savings more broadly out there it would be a great way to help us in what we're doing. So please check it out. I'm going to walk straight to my HR team right now <laughs> and talk to them. Thank you, Devin. You enlightened me on not only how people can save for a rainy day, but also we talked about how all of this technology also needs processes like DevOps and great engineering practices and how devices can help with products such as these. Learn more about SecureSave at securesave.com. And if you want to follow Devin, you can see him on LinkedIn or at SecureSave1 on Twitter. There's a device for that, is brought to you by Esper, the industry's first and leading DevOps platform for device fleets. If you're interested in learning more about how Esper can help you better manage your device fleet, reach out, go to esper.io or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at esperdev, at E-S-P-E-R-D-E-V, or you can go to esper.io. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of There's a Device for That.